Hey everyone, Dr. B here again. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Ask the Dentist. This is a podcast where you can ask a dentist. You'll get a very in-depth answer and it will probably be a little different than what you're used to hearing and that is because I am a functionally minded dentist. Uh, That's not a term I came up with. Uh, Functional medicine's been around for a long time and we've talked about it a lot on this podcast and I think today's episode will kind of give you an idea an example. It'll illustrate how a functionally minded dentist thinks. So prompted by this question, which by the way, is about a very common ingredient in toothpaste, but also in food and shampoo and other products. And there are a lot of substances and chemicals that can claim that, that are found in cosmetics and food as well. This is one of them. And I think Jennifer asks the question and Jennifer has a good point there's a lot of conflicting information. Who do you believe? So when I get asked that question, I try and really double down and be very functionally minded and look for, you know, what's the root cause of all, not just of what it can cause systemically or is it good or bad, but what is the root cause of all the confusion and why are there such disparate opinions on the web? And, and in digging into that, you get to the truth by knowing that. And so I'm going to answer the question, of course, as I hopefully always am able to do for you on this podcast, but I'm also going to kind of go through the process of how I dig into this and get to the answer. So I'm actually going to, you're going to follow me through certain websites, my go-to websites as to finding out very basic information about a substance or a chemical, a mineral. I mean, any of these substances, you really want to back way upstream swim way upstream and find out all the basics about it. And a lot of this is going to be biochemical. That's my first degree was biochemistry, metabolic pathways, all of that. And how do these substances and chemicals interact with the body? How does the body metabolize them or do they metabolize these chemicals? And But before you talk about all that, you really have to know a lot about the substance and get the real truth on what it is. So I'm going to be viewing kind of live as I speak certain websites that I go to right away. And then in the show notes, I'm going to give you those URLs so you can do the same for you and your family and and for friends. And of course, if you have any questions and it's confusing, it's not for everyone, but at least you get some background information on how I approach these questions. So anyway, enough of that. Let's go right to the question because we've got lots of digging to do on Sorbitol. Jennifer, take it away. Hi, Dr. B. I have a question about sorbitol. Does it get broken down by bacteria in the mouth and contribute to tooth decay? I've read conflicting information online, which makes me concerned about its presence in so many toothpastes and sugar-free gum. Thanks. Jennifer, great question. So the first thing I do is, I mean, I know what sorbitol is. I've run across it in my biochemistry background. I also did some food science. It's very prevalent in food science. It's an ingredient that is in a lot of foods, toothpaste, cosmetics. It's also in a lot of diabetic foods. I'll explain why later. But here's my thinking. So, But I did want to bone up on sorbitol. I'm pretty good with xylitol. I can speak freely about that without having to resort to some research. But sorbitol, I did want to go back to. So first thing I did was kind of just type in, is sorbitol, does sorbitol cause cavities or does it prevent cavities? And I typed both of those in. And here is where you're coming from. I get it now. I was able to get articles supporting 
both searches. And this is where the confusion comes. And it's unfortunate. And I'll explain at the end of this episode why I think maybe that one website did say it could be bad, it could promote decay. There's always some little tidbit that some writer or blogger, influencer, even medical dental sites will come up. And remember, when you read things on the web, everyone's trying to outshock each other to get the hits, to increase their SEO. And certainly, I mean, it's not a terribly exciting title, but for people that are doing a search to read that sorbitol could cause decay, especially, for example, a diabetic or someone that's worried about glycemic index of food, sorbitol has an incredibly low glycemic index, again, more on that later, then that could pull you to their website and keep you on there for a while. So it is unfortunate. And this is the problem with reading any site on the web, unless you're reading a study and it's been medically reviewed, peer reviewed. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. So anyway, yes, when someone asks a question like that, I want to see what is being said about that substance, that ingredient. And yes, there is some confusion on the web, but no surprise, very, very typical of the great, 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 great World Wide Web, which is what we used to call it when it first came out. Now it's called the internet, and that should be no surprise to anyone listening now. So the next thing I'll do is, so I've identified the source of the confusion and what they're saying about sorbitol the questions that come to mind, and I write them down, is, is sorbitol broken down by bacteria in the mouth? If it is, then it could be a problem. This is how decay works. Bacteria are broken down. There's an acid attack. The product of that, that metabolism, is acid, and acid is what demineralizes, literally dissolves calcium out of the teeth. So I would go, I right away think, okay, let me find out what is the metabolism of sorbitol. It's a wood sugar. You're asking if this causes tooth decay, and this is a very valid concern because sorbitol is found in toothpaste, among other places. The conflicting information, we've addressed that. It does exist, unfortunately, but I expect that to happen often with any discussion with oral health. And then it's also found in sugar-free gum. So, okay, so the next thing I do, and I go to Wikipedia. Wiki is a good source, typically. If I see a lot of references on the bottom and I refer to those references, in this case, Sorbitol, the Wikipedia entry for uh, Sorbitol had tons of references, 25 studies, and it was well laid out. And so I start there just to kind of reacquaint myself with the chemical nature of the substance. If I see the chemical structure in the first paragraph, I'm happy. It kind of allows me to see where's the alcohol group, etc. Is it a carbohydrate? That kind of thing. So what did Wiki say? Wiki said it's a sugar alcohol like xylitol, mannitol. I think most of us are familiar with those. It has a sweet taste, but the body will metabolize a sugar alcohol much more slowly than glucose or sucrose or fructose. And then I also always like to know, is there a natural form of the substance that I'm looking at or is there a synthetic form? And typically the answer is, is that there are both. In this case, sorbitol is found in apples, pears, what else? Peaches and prunes. Those are all delicious fruits that we all enjoy in the summer. So there are natural forms of sorbitol. But if you're seeing sorbitol in toothpaste, just like xylitol and other wood sugars, even cosmetic products, it's not pulled from an apple. That's just, it's too expensive to do that. So sorbitol does have a synthetic source. It's made from 
Get this, potato starch. Not my favorite, but anyway, it's highly refined from potato starch. It's not like ingesting potato starch. Potato starch will have a much higher glycemic index than sorbitol. But anyway, so at least it's found in natural forms. That means our bodies will recognize it. They've been exposed to it over the many hundred millions of years that we've evolved. And that's a good thing. That's a good sign. It is converted by a dehydrogenase. That's an enzyme. It's actually sorbitol 6-phosphate-2 dehydrogenase that there are plenty of enzymes in the mouth, in the body that break down wood sugars, other things as well, and glucose and sucrose, obviously. But in this case, it is converted to fructose by this dehydrogenase. Uh, so that's interesting. And, and I mentioned earlier in the episode that I think there is one bit of information that maybe will confuse some sites, or sources, information, bloggers, and this may be it. When they read this, that it's converted to fructose, people get really bent out of shape with fructose because it is mildly toxic to the liver, especially in children. And fructose is a natural sugar. And then they think of corn fructose, corn syrup fructose. And of course, that's a synthetic, highly refined version of it, which has an incredibly high glycemic index and causes a lot of disease in our Western world, Western food chain. So maybe that's where it came from. But as I will tell you later, there should be no concern related to that fact that sorbitol is converted to fructose by the body. What else did Wiki say? Okay, so we're going right into it here. Most bacteria cannot use sorbitol for energy. So these bacteria that have this enzyme, they're not burning a lot of energy. They're not able to create a lot of energy from it because they can't really break it down. So the fermentation, you hear me say this a lot, you ferment a easily fermentable carbohydrate like a saltine cracker, and you're going to get a lot of acid from that process. Well, in the case of sorbitol, streptococcus mutans, the S mutan bug or bacterium, that essentially is the major cause of tooth decay or the major player in tooth decay, it really has a tough time breaking down sorbitol. I think only 25% of sorbitol is absorbed in the small intestine. So for diabetics, that's a good thing. But the bacteria really don't ferment a lot of sorbitol. And that's why it has such a low glycemic index. The glycemic index as many of you know, is kind of a measure of how a food makes your whole glucagon insulin system. That's the system, the pancreas, the, the body's way of dealing with spikes in blood sugar. And certain foods like sugar, sugar is given that ideal ultimate index of 100 because that really produces the most severe response of the pancreas. It tells the body to excrete a lot of insulin to take down that amount of glucose that ends up in the bloodstream. And of course, if you had that much, if you have too much, you're going to die. If you have too little, you're going to die. So the body's always trying to control that. So when it sees glucose, it gets that whole system really activates. Sorbitol on that scale is eight or nine. It's under 10. That is incredibly low. That's lower than an apple. It's lower than almond butter. It's incredibly low. So that's a good sign for me. Again, I'm just looking at the raw data here and trying to make my own decisions in this regard because I've read, initially I went to the two websites that came up right away that were in conflict about whether sorbitol is problematic in terms of cavity formation. So what do I do next? So next, I want to know what forms of the compound that I'm researching 
are in use. Is it a synthetic version? It typically is. I'll just get right to it. It's always synthetic. And usually, whether it's an industrial seed oil or dairy product, the meat industry, they all have their industry kind of foundations or websites, identities that support and define what is a well-made synthetic product. You know, the Meat Association, The in this case, it was, what was it? It was the there's actually a alcohol sugar organization that talks about it. So I went to that website. And of course, what they talk about is how wonderful this is. This is like a group of manufacturers. They probably pay into this group and they all support it. They may even be funding studies. And so if any of these studies I see are funded by this organization, I stay away, of course. So what does it say about sorbitol? It's a sugar alcohol. It's a bulk sweetener. It's found in numerous food products, and it provides sweetness. It's an excellent humectant, hence its presence in toothpaste, keeps it nice and moist. It's a texturizing agent. Again, this is this agency selling it as a product to be used in potential customers, uh, manufacturers, like toothpaste manufacturers. It's advertised as a texturizing agent. Again, great in toothpaste. Sorbitol is about 60% as sweet as sucrose. This would be targeted to a company who wants to provide or make a food for a diabetic. It has less calories. That would be a low-fat, low-calorie food for someone who's trying to lose weight. It has. They talk about the smooth mouthfeel with a sweet and cool and pleasant taste. You, you see where I'm going with this, right? And here it is. It says it is non-cariogenic. Interesting that it's low on the list. I would... If something was non-cariogenic and it was in my food, I would put that on the top of the list. But anyway, uh, we all want to be thin before we're fat in our society. Sorry, we all want to be thin before we're fit. And that's kind of the order of how we see health, which is unfortunate. But again, a lot of us have been brainwashed in that regard. And it says also it could be useful to people with diabetes. Sorbitol has been safely used in processed foods, safely used for almost half a century. Oh my goodness, what a great technological innovation for food and for toothpaste and for cosmetic products. Okay. And then, of course, it says it's also used in products such as pharmaceuticals and cosmetics. I've seen it in supplements, vitamins. It talks about who discovered it, 1872, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so in summary, it's uh, great for foods and toothpaste, bulk sweetness, clean, cool, pleasant taste. It's got 2.6 calories per gram compared to 4 calories per gram. Comparing it to sugar, it's a humectorant, it's texturizing, an anti-crystallizing agent, again, toothpaste. It can be used in sugar-free candies. In other words, it can be labeled as a sugar-free candy for a diabetic. Chewing gums, frozen desserts, baked goods. And it does not contribute to formation of dental caries. I'm going to expand on that a little bit more. But you see where I'm going with this. The industry loves this stuff just like they love industrial seed oils and other synthetically made products. Unfortunately, xylitol, another wood sugar, which I like if it's done properly and if it is from a non-synthetic source, then it's great stuff. And I like it because it does something more than sorbitol does. I'm going to get to that. So anyway, that is what the industry says about it. So then I will go to the studies. I will try and find studies. I can find those in the bottom of that Wikipedia link. I'm going to put into the show notes a link from Chris Kresser. He has a wonderful blog post about what is a good study, what to look for in studies. 
in general, you know, I look at the methodology, of course, is it randomized, double blind, placebo controlled, in vitro or in vivo, that is important. Is the study, uh, is that substance tested outside of the body or inside the body? That, that has a lot to do with it. The length of the study, a lot of these studies are very quick. Who funded the study? You know, you have to be very careful just because you've got a study to back up what you are trying to support what you believe in about a product. Be very, very careful. Be wary. A lot of studies are wrong. They are just dead wrong. Faulty thinking, illogical outcomes. And uh, anyway, that link I think will help a lot. So let's get to the studies. And then I'm going to talk to you about one of my favorite pages when it comes to researching an actual substance. So up next is one of my favorite sites, NIH, National Library of Medicine. I will give you the link. It's pubchem.ncbi.nim.nih, et cetera, et cetera. But basically, it is the compound database it is exhaustive. And for example, let me just scroll through. So I put in under the search bar in this, it's called PubChem. I typed in sorbitol and here's what came up. Essentially, it talks about everything there's known about this one compound, sorbitol, the structures, names and identifiers, the chemical and physical properties. I usually go there. Spectral information, not really related records, chemical vendors. Definitely. I sometimes reach out to those chemical vendors. It gives me a list of everyone making sorbitol, for example. I do this with many other compounds. I did that with hydroxyapatite uh, many years ago when I first found out about that. Contacted the vendors themselves in Europe and also in Japan and now in the US. So drug and medication information, very important for a dentist who is prescribing medication. Food additives and ingredients. This is definitely one of those. We've talked about how it appears in food. The pharmacology and biochemistry, definitely there. That's something that dentists need to worry about. And there is a biochemical question here. You know, how does it get absorbed by the body? And does it cause decay? Use in manufacturing, identification, safety and hazards, toxicity. I spend a lot of time there, associated disorders and diseases. And each of these categories, when you click on them, for example, I'm going to click now on pharmacology and biochemistry. So for example, I would not have found this study. So under metabolism and metabolites, which is the product of what happens when sorbitol gets eaten up and processed by a bacterium in the mouth or in the gut, what is the result of that? Essentially, it's the byproduct of that enzyme that I mentioned earlier. And here it is. I would not have found this study. I will list this as well if you want. And each study is listed and then it gives a review under this category, metabolism and metabolites, of what the conclusion was. And here it is. 70% of orally ingested sorbitol is converted to carbon dioxide without appearing as glucose in the blood. Bingo. That essentially means that it has really no glycemic impact at all. It doesn't appear as sugar, even though we read earlier that a little bit of it is converted to glucose or actually fructose, sorry. And fructose is a sugar that can cause decay, but not enough of it is produced from the ingestion of sorbitol. So that study and that comment really honed it down for me, really reduced it to some just clear conclusion on that sorbitol does not cause decay in the mouth. It gives me the mechanism of action. And every time it has a little review or a sentence of what it's talking about, there is a study or two listed underneath it. So I highly recommend this site, any compound, whether it's something you're using in your hand cream, something you're spraying on your countertops, 
look it up. It's all here. All this information is available to you. And by the way, this site doesn't cost anything. Every once in a while, you're going to come across a study where you have to pay for it. Typically, if you copy the title of a study and look elsewhere, sometimes you can find it for no cost. And if you really need to see that study, contact your dentist, contact your physician, contact a researcher if you know one, and they can get it for you because they subscribe to these sites typically. So anyway, that's my secret weapon right there, this website. I will include it. One last thing I wanted to add, and I think I said I would, there's a diabetes site in England that I came across, and it says that sorbitol actively fights decay. And I think they got confused there because sorbitol is passive. Because it doesn't get broken down rapidly and fully, there isn't enough acid into fructose. There isn't enough of an acid attack to demineralize the teeth. So sorbitol passively is not a caries or cariogenic cavity-causing cavity causing effect. Xylitol, on the other hand, another wood sugar, does have an active role in fighting decay. And that's unique to xylitol. And xylitol you'll see in toothpaste. And there are synthetic versions of it, which I don't like. And there are natural versions of it made from, I think, birch bark. And that's okay to have in toothpaste because it actively prevents the strep mutan bug, which is the cavity-causing bug, it takes away its stickiness. In other words, that bug is still there. It doesn't kill the bug, but it prevents it from sticking onto the tooth in the biofilm and hence preventing it from doing a lot of its damage. So that has an active form of preventing cavity. Sorbitol does not. And when I saw that on that English diabetes site, I was a little concerned. So be very careful. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And this is why it's good to look at all the raw data. When I was a art history major, I think earlier I said that my first degree was biochemistry. Actually, that was my second degree. I was an art history major first. And what I learned in art history, among many, many things, is that a primary source is the first one you want to go to. And these are the primary sources. This PubChem list of compounds is a primary source. There are really no conclusions made. They're just weeding out all the data and facts on each compound for you. And a lot of it is referenced in these studies. So it's a quick way to find a study on what you're looking for. So I hope that is of some help. Okay, I apologize. That was probably very nerdy. I hope you were able to follow it. I will give you a list of all those URLs, and that way you can kind of dabble and, and look at all these websites. And I just wanted to demonstrate, I hope I gave you a good answer on Sorbitol, and I'm going to give you concluding thoughts on how I feel about Sorbitol. But I hope just by telling you the process of how I look at these things that this was helpful because you can do this at home with anything that you have a question about. So again, it's all about that functional approach swimming upstream, getting the raw data, and then coming to your own conclusions. Uh, be very careful of who you follow and what conclusions you base your, your life on. We have one life. We have to make the right decisions. And that requires a lot of work, I agree. Or maybe you have a good relationship with your physician and your dentist and you trust them. But it's always good to challenge them and to challenge yourself and look at what you are ingesting, what you're coming into contact with. So again, I hope that process helped. Maybe I'll do this again unless I get some feedback saying I, I shouldn't do this, but I can do this again if I get asked about another question about another compound 
or a chemical or a substance and toothpaste. Glycerin, for example. Glycerin is one that I've been researching a lot, and it's in almost every single toothpaste, and it is a problem. So maybe we can talk about that in 2022. Anyway, so if you have questions like this, please ask. I will get so nerdy, you'll just get way, way too much information. I'm kidding. Speakpipe.com slash dentist. If you go to that URL, you can ask me a question. I would love to hear it. I'd love to hear your voice and the tone maybe the frustration, and I will give you my best answer as unadulterated and unbiased as possible. Again, we've written a lot about wood sugars, mostly xylitol in this case, not sorbitol. We do have a blog post, I think, on synthetic sweeteners. I will look at that. If I do have a URL on that, I will list that. Go to askthedentist.com. We talk about all this. Sugar is a big deal in dentistry, as it is in medicine. But the effects and the way it affects oral health is slightly different, although there are a lot of commonalities as well. That glycemic index, if you're eating a food with a high glycemic index, chances are it is a cavity-causing food. Again, the glycemic index of sorbitol is under 10. It's not a cavity-causing product. Do I want it in my toothpaste or in my foods? No. It's a synthetic. It comes from a synthetic source, and I really don't need sweet-tasting toothpaste. I try and stay away from anything that tastes sweet. It just it kind of wakes up my tongue and my taste buds, and it reminds me of how pleasant sweet things are. And that's how our bodies are built. We have evolved to really seek out sweet things. And in the old days, there wasn't a big selection. I mean, we were running through the bush and maybe we'd see run into a berry bush. But now, unfortunately, everything has sugar in it and we're consuming way too much of it. That evolutionary code that is in our taste buds has really caused us a lot of harm. And if you're looking for a doctor who has the same approach, a dentist who will question everything and has a lot of knowledge about substances that go into the mouth, go to our directory. We have a growing list of functional dentists. Go to askthedentist.com slash directory. And hopefully in your area, there is someone that you can look up and work with. So again, thank you so much. I apologize again for nerding out. I'm afraid to listen to this episode. But one thing I do know is that there was a lot of information in there. And I think these websites that I go to will help you and your family as well. So definitely check it out. If you have any questions, email me. I'm happy to guide you in whatever way I can. And again, just a little insight into how I look at these things, kind of the mad scientist approach, I guess. But it really is helpful. It's helped me and my life and eliminating chemicals or proving chemicals and substances that come into contact with my body and also from my family. So again, I'll leave you with one last thought. I have a nickname in my family and with most of my friends, even a lot of my dental friends, and that is Mr. Inconvenient Truth. And I apologize for that. In this case, sorbitol is okay. It doesn't create cavities, cause cavities, but stay away from it. It's an artificial sweetener and it's hard to digest. And unless you're a diabetic, just try and have a paleo meal. There is no sugar in that meal typically, and it's what your body craves. It's really what we evolved to. So seek that out. Stay away from anything that even tastes sweet and you'll be safe. Anyway, I will see you next year, 2022. Thank you so much for being a listener to this podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Again, thank you so much. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. 
This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search our Find a Dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.